Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, hey, welcome to Bergen Park Church. This is where you are, if you didn't know. We're glad to have you guys here this morning. Uh, you know, the passage that we're in today was, was incredibly helpful for me with all that's taking place in the world today. You know, we live in a world where we see suffering, we see death, hostages. Yeah, I wonder if the human mind was designed to see this level of suffering and difficulty because our information, right, it reaches across the globe. You went back even 50, 60, 100 years ago, you would just know the events that are happening across the street or maybe in your community. And today, you know, your heart can be overwhelmed with suffering and death. And and so how do we engage, I think, as Christians in that kind of space where our neighbors may believe something totally different than we do and it may, there may be conflict and you see that in our cities, right? Protests. Different groups of people who value different groups of people and they seem to conflict together. And, and where is the church in that? And where are we as, as followers of Jesus first and foremost? And, and I was thinking as I was going through this passage that the church is supposed to be marked by the presence of God. We're supposed to be a people who look like we've been with Jesus. Okay that were marked with the qualities of people who have spent time in his presence. That's number one. And then two, we're supposed to be marked as a people who are becoming like Jesus. We're not there yet. But as we see suffering and hardship and as we go through conflicts, that's supposed to draw us to Jesus, not to news. You with me? Not to politics. Not to world events. It's supposed to first and foremost show us we are human and we need God and draw us into the presence of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, what happens is the Holy Spirit works on us and we start to become more like Jesus as we depend upon him in real life. So we need to abide with him. We need to let him work on us. And then finally, we got to do Jesus stuff. We got to do the kind of stuff that Jesus said we're supposed to do. And one of the main things the Bible calls us to, I don't know if you know this, is hospitality. It's called table fellowship. It's called opening your home to people who are nothing like you and maybe even believe the opposite of you. In the Old Testament times, in, in Hospitality was, was the greatest of gifts and not giving it was one of the greatest of sins. But in our culture that is so divided and so categorized, the church even refuses to welcome people who are different than us in our homes. But how are gonna, people going to know about Jesus unless they're with Jesus' people doing Jesus' things? And that's what we're called to be as a church. Because we have a good shepherd. And what I love about the good shepherd is when I get in his presence, he's often asking me questions. Jason, where are you right now? 
What's going on in you? And I want to ask you right now, where are you today? A war in Israel. Suffering in Gaza. A war in Ukraine. The world seems like it's, it's shaking. Where do you run to when life gets turned upside down? Because when suffering comes into the world and justice comes into the world, what it exposes are our false gods. It, it exposes where our hope is found. And as we pray this morning, I want to ask the Spirit to reveal where is my hope anchored? Is my hope anchored in a world that's always going to be secure and always going to be comfortable? Is, is my hope anchored in, in an agenda or a party? Where is my hope found? And so can we, can we just begin this morning in God's presence? You know, he's with us. And, and God loves that we gather together and just invite him to speak to us. And so in the name of Jesus, let's, let's listen to him. Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us where our hope is found? Jesus, you said, my peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. It's not the kind of peace the world can give. It's not a peace you're going to find in the world. It's a peace you find in me, so do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Tell us, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but instead, set apart Jesus as Lord. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, we set apart Jesus as Lord. Lord over Evergreen and Bergen Park Church, but Lord over Israel. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Jesus, you are Lord over Gaza, over the Palestinians. And we invite you, Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Father, you are Lord over Hamas. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. And Father, you are Lord over us and you remind us we are to weep with those who weep. Our tears are not shown through favoritism. We sit at the feet of a father who's lost his family, a mother who's lost a child, a child who's lost his or her parents. And we simply, Father, we weep at the sin and the brokenness and the hardships in this world. And we say, Lord Jesus, come. First come and be in us so that we can be the kind of people that reflect who you are, not that take away all the brokenness from the world, but can bring healing into the lives of people who are hurting and are suffering and are afraid. Jesus, you love to work in weakness and in our humility, and so be strong in us, Father. For we do not worship a God who is shaken, but a God who is mighty and powerful, and we rest in you, Father. Teach us this morning, we'd ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a passage that kept coming to me this week, and it's in 1 Corinthians. Or actually, it's not in 1st. It's in 2nd. Chapter 1, verses 3 and following, and this is what it says. 
It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father, the source of all comfort. And he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. And notice, when they are troubled, is the world troubled? Are our neighbors troubled? Is our community troubled? What, what do they need more of? Sound bites? Politicians? Images? They need the comfort that comes from God. And notice how God reveals himself. When we go through suffering and hardship, he reminds us he is the God of, he's a merciful father, the God of all comfort. And then notice he says he wants to comfort us so that we can give to them the same comfort God has given to us. If we're not with him, how can we receive that comfort from God? For the more we suffer for Christ, and I think that's the key phrase, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. You could imagine this saying, the more we suffer with Christ. How does Christ suffer today? You know, God's heart grieves at the brokenness in the world. Grieves at the death. And he sees people in a way that we tend not to see people. And it says the more that we see the world the way that Jesus sees the world, the more that we mourn and lament, that's the first place we need to go, we will bring the comfort that God wants to give us to others. And that's what we need. That's what our communities need. They need a people who have been with Jesus. You know, Dallas Willard, a great teacher, passed away a few years ago, and he was asked this question, and his answer uh, it surprised me, still kind of shocks me. He's, someone asked him, what's the sign of a mature Christian? And so you can reflect on that for a moment. What is the sign of somebody who's deeply mature in their faith? And you could answer this in a lot of ways, but I thought this, this answer spoke to where I am and it spoke into my heart. And he said, a mature follower of Jesus is almost impossible to offend. What? I scratch my head with that for a moment. A mature follower of Jesus is almost impossible to offend. We tend to be offended when our idols get shaken. But our God cannot be shaken. We don't worship a fragile God. We worship a powerful God, a majestic God, a God who has created all things and sustains all things. A God who wants to comfort. And I think the first question we need to ask ourselves is what do we run to for hope? Where do we turn to? Where do we anchor our life? And then second, who do we attack? I think we all have a category. It's okay. I imagine I have my own. Who do we tend to attack? And I'm not suggesting anger sometimes is absolutely justified. God created anger. And there is good anger. Because see, anger at times is a voice that needs to be heard. It's saying that something matters. There is something good. There is something right. But you know, as, as 
finite human beings, when we feel out of control, we don't simply go to anger, we go to rage. And we bring that into our families, into our community. How did Jesus respond to evil? Because there's evil in our world. How did he respond? He committed no sin, 1 Peter. You can put that up. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, what did he do? He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. There's only one who judges justly, right? It's not us. I don't see right. I don't judge right. I don't show up in judgment in the right way. And God says, give it to me. That's my job. It's not our job to judge. It's our job to make moral decisions, right? Moral clarity. We need moral clarity. This is good. This is bad. This is right. This is wrong. But I am not here to determine what somebody deserves. Because what did I deserve? I deserve to be cast out of God's presence. What did he give me? As an enemy of God, he gave me grace and he continues to show me patience and he continues to show me love. I am not the judge. We're not judges. James captures it this way. God opposes the proud, but he loves to give grace to the humble. When we stand in judgment on others, we are in a position of pride because that's God's place. And therefore we miss out on grace. And so what, what do we need? We need to submit ourselves to God. We need to resist the devil and he will flee from us. To draw near to God and he will draw near to us. To wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, grieve Mourn and wail, turn your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he's the one that exalts us. And then there's another thought that's connected to this. Because he goes on and he says, brothers, don't slander each other. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only, again, one lawgiver and judge. And notice, the one who can save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? If Jesus had to entrust himself to the justice of God, how much more do we? And allow God to take his role in the world and then allow us to be the hands and the feet of Christ simply across the street. There's a lot you can't control in this world but you can control how you deal with the people around you. And you can control how you engage with the people who disagree with you. We can be the presence of Jesus for a world that's hurting, right? We can do that. But we need to be with him. We need to allow God to change us, to become like him. And then finally, I think the third thing we need today is we need to walk in the words of Jesus. This world needs blessing. Jesus said, blessed are who? Those who mourn. 
Those who mourn. Why? Because they know they need God and they have God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. It is hard to walk in peace in a world of violence and chaos and death, isn't it? You can't, right? That's why you need to be with him. I can't do it, Jesus. I can't do this. I I watch the images. I I can't do this right now. And he invites us to draw near to him. He strengthens us and allows us to go out into the world and live for him. We need to adjust our vision around Jesus. Because that's where our passage is today. If you want to turn there, we're in Mark chapter 3. And I'm grateful that God landed us here at this time. And I want to read Mark chapter 3. And we're going to look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You know, when Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, a yoke is something that an ox would carry, but it's also something a rabbi would give you. You know, Jesus was known most by this title, and it wasn't just Messiah or Christ, it was rabbi. If you were in a synagogue and Jesus was there, you would identify him as a rabbi, and a rabbi had a yoke. He had a way of teaching. He brought his teaching from the Torah. And that was the yoke that you, you carried, you walked in. And so as Jesus teaches and as he calls his disciples, these disciples are responding to the call of a rabbi. And so to understand what it means to be a disciple, we need to understand what it looks like to follow a rabbi. So let's jump into this in verse, verse seven. And Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, from around Tyre and Sidon, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on a mountain and he called to him those he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name, Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And then he went home, and the crowds gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out and seized him, For they were saying, he is out of his mind. Even Jesus had struggles with his family. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Jesus' invitation was pretty simple. Come. And it wasn't just come, believe, and you're going to go to heaven. We summarize the message of Jesus that way, don't we? But his message was come and be with me. We see that in chapter one, he calls Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And did you notice he gives them all new names? 
Because your name is your identity. Jesus starts by saying, you have a new identity when you were with me. And then chapter two, he calls Levi. And Levi was despised and hated, and especially by the zealots. The zealots were the protectors of Israel, the violent protectors of Israel. Why would Jesus call Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot to be in a small group? Democrats and Republicans, MAGA and progressives, that don't happen today unless we're with Jesus. Jesus doesn't care about your categories, guys. He doesn't care. He calls whomever he calls and whoever comes, they come from where they are. Why do we expect them to be where we want them to be? Why can't we just allow Jesus to take them to where he wants them to be? And he calls this diversity of people. And then we come to chapter 3. And if you look back in verse 13, he went up on a mountain and he called whom he desired and they came to him and he appointed them. And again, he gave them a new name. He says, you're now the sent out ones. That's what the word apostle means, to be sent out. So they might be with him. And that's the key word we want to sit with. The first thing he called them to was simply just to be with him. See, Jesus called his disciples to be a Talmudine. Now, that might be a new word for you. It's a Hebrew word, and it means disciple. Rabbis called Talmudines. And see, what would happen is you would actually pursue the rabbi. Because you'd pursue the rabbi because you want to take his yoke upon you. You want to learn his understanding of the Torah. And your goal was first to be with him. You wanted to be a part of his, his group. And you wanted to sit under his teaching. Some would say you want the dust of your rabbi's feet to cover you. You walk that closely. And then you wanted to become like that rabbi. And then you wanted to actually be the rabbi. That's the vision of a Talmudin. I think the word that best captures what a disciple is, is an apprentice. An apprentice is not somebody that learns simply and reads and fills in the blanks has the right information, right? No, an apprentice is somebody who comes alongside someone who's further down the road. They see a vision for life. Hey, I want to follow you. You seem to know how to do this. You're doing parenting better than I am. Can I apprentice with you? You're doing marriage better than I can. You're doing job and life. Can I just sit next to you and kind of hang out with you and maybe some of what you got can kind of fall on me? that I might become like you and then I want to go out and do the kinds of things that you, you do. Discipleship wasn't invented by Jesus. It's, it's a way of life that was, was there in the first century. And when he calls us to himself, see, he calls us into that life. Not just to believe a set of doctrines, not to have a, a destination in the future, to have life today, a life that's meaningful, a life that impacts others. And again, there were three goals. To be with Jesus was the first goal, to be with our rabbi. How much time do we spend with our rabbi? How much time do we spend with the news? How much time do we spend just receiving the messages of the world, how much time do we spend listening to Jesus? Or for me, I can speak to myself, how much time do I spend watching Seinfeld? 
Everybody loves Raymond. God, just take me away. I want to escape this life. And how much time do I just listen to my rabbi and say, Jesus, I need to hear from you. Are we spending time with our rabbi? And then in, in Luke 6, and we don't have this on the board, on the wall, but Jesus said, a disciple's not above his teacher, but anyone when he is fully trained, he, he becomes like his teacher. How are we becoming like Jesus? And see, that's what life provides us. An opportunity to see where we're not like Jesus. And if you pick up your feet today and just go along with the culture of the world, even just the culture of the church at times, you're not gonna look like Jesus. The only way we become like Jesus is we're with him, but second, you need to be with Jesus' people. There's people in this room you need to have relationships with because you look at them and say, you know, there's something about you in this area. They're not perfect, guys, I can tell you. They look good, don't they? They don't have their life together. But hopefully what they have is they have an intimacy with Jesus and we have to be alongside people who are pursuing Jesus. You can't do this alone. It doesn't work because you have an enemy who's called a lion. Have you watched the Discovery Channel? Animal Planet? Who do the lions go for? The isolated, the alone, I can do it myself. I don't need anyone. The prideful. Lions will tear you down if you find yourself without a community of people. We need each other. And then did you notice the third thing that he did was he said, I'm going to send you guys out to preach and to cast out demons and to heal diseases. I want you to do the kind of stuff that I'm doing. What does that look like in Evergreen? I mean, is that our vision for, for us today? Are we following Jesus at Bergen Park Church? And if we have a God of comfort and he wants to give us comfort, are we pursuing the kind of God and pursuing him in a way that when we actually go out of our house, we're carrying God with us? Do we see that? Do we realize? You know, Jesus said in, in John 15, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. Anyone who abides in me and I in him, he says, we're gonna bear much fruit. The kind of fruit the world needs and the world is desperate for is the kind of fruit that Jesus wants to produce through us only if we're abiding in him. Now, to abide means to make your home in. And that means intellectually, physically, spiritually, are you learning to make your home in, in Jesus? Are you learning what it's like to take the troubles that you carry and then to bring them to him? He says, cast your cares on me. And then he tells us, hey, Jason's casting his cares, but are you carrying one another's burdens? Because in this way, we fulfill the law of Christ, that we walk with each other. Are we learning to abide in Jesus? Some of us, we don't ever pick up the Bible. How can we follow the rabbi unless we're listening to the rabbi? And, and church, we need to find that rhythm. We need to find the rhythms. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in the beginning in Matthew 5 and in the conclusion in Matthew 7, and go look at this. He talks, at, right, Matthew 7, he says there's two types of people. One builds their house. I don't know why, on the sand. 
Doesn't sound like a good idea. I'm not an engineer, but that. And then one builds his life on the rock. Now, what's the difference? Do you notice? Have you ever go back and look at that? He says it in the beginning in chapter five, the same, the same concept. It's the one who puts it into practice, not the one who gets it right. The one that goes into training, the one that's practicing, the one that's following me, the one that's with me is the one whose life's on the rock. Not because they have it together. They're built on the one who is together, the one that doesn't shake. Every other foundation, it shakes. And when your foundation shakes, your life shakes. But when your foundation doesn't shake and you shake, you find the stability that comes from the foundation. We have to put the words of Jesus into practice. This, this isn't information to learn about the past. It's life to give us a vision for the present. Are we taking the words of scripture and living those words out and expecting God to show up? Because he wants to. He wants to. Are we with him? Are we becoming like him? And that's where the practice comes in. Do you have the kind of relationships you need so that people can come alongside you and just simply say, hey, where are you? What is it like to be you right now? Does anyone ask that question? What is it like to go through the challenges and the difficulties and the, and the struggles and then a person that's not gonna come in and preach to you like I am, but a person who wants to invest into you? a person who wants to disciple you. Church, that's our calling as a church, not to gather information, but to give. To give what God has given. You know another definition for maturity is having children. You ever, where, who's taking care of all these children in the New Testament? Dear children, dear children. John says, there are fathers and there are mothers. And some of you have been in the church for such a long time, but who, who are you parenting? And maybe that's just the question you need to ask God and say, God, will you show me who I need to parent? And you know how the easiest way to do that? Invite me over for dinner. Invite somebody over for coffee. Not to say, hey, I'm gonna fix you. I just wanna know you. Can we get to know each other? Would you, church, would we be the kind of people that when, when there's hardships and injustice in the world, we get really practical? God, who do you want me to touch? Who do you want me to bless? And it may be somebody that doesn't know Christ. Who do you want me to get to know? You've got to invite them into your life. And then finally, we need to do the things that Jesus did. You know, I love the old Star Wars series, not the new Star Wars series as much. I'm kind of old school. I still have all my, my figures. I got like 500 little stormtroopers and Yodas and, and they're awesome. X-Wing fighters, you bet. Millennium Falcon. But could you imagine Luke Skywalker, he goes to Dagobah, if you know where Dagobah is. Yoda's there. Hey Luke, here's 10 books to read. Go master these books and then you'll be a Jedi. Okay, here's two lectures. If you can just learn the information. He didn't give him any books, does he? Now what he does is he walks with him. Let me show you what it looks like. A lot of us didn't have maybe dads or, or mothers that walked with Jesus. 
How, the, how is a father or mother going to walk with their children if they haven't walked with an adult who knows Christ? We, this isn't something we figure out. How do you do marriage around Jesus? How do you do money around? How do you do sexuality around Jesus? People have questions. And part of the reality is we have to learn what it looks like simply to walk with them. Are we pressing into him? Guys, do we see the vision? Do we see what Jesus is calling his disciples into? The next step is just, you know, Father, would you show us what it looks like in our life? Would you show us what it looks like? And when you see, listen, I think the news is going to get worse before it gets any better. And when you see those images and you see the hardship, you need to pray for peace in Israel. You need to pray for peace in the Gaza Strip. You need to pray for peace in the world. And when you want to judge, here's what you pray. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Now show me who I need to love. Because Jesus summed up the law in two things. Love God, which means obedience and worship. And then love your neighbor. We can't love in the Middle East right now. We're not there. But we can in Evergreen. And he wants us to pray every day that his kingdom would come in Evergreen as if this was heaven. How will people know what God in heaven is like unless we live it? That's what he's inviting us into. If you didn't grab the communion elements when you came in, I want to encourage you to do that. They're available in the back. And they're also available up front. And I imagine some of you, you're carrying the burdens of this week. And would you, would you give that to him? The anger, it's, it's the injustice, the rage, even the hatred. Would we hold the elements of grace, which is the body and the blood of Christ, and, and recognize that he, he loved us while we were enemies. It's while we were far from him that he chased us and he pursued us. And so as we hold those elements, would you lift up to God what's on your heart? And maybe for some of us, you need to pray, God, show me, show me someone who, needs, who I need to be a parent to. I need to care for. Or maybe, God, I need someone in my life that can walk with me. Can we, can we ask him for that? And then after a time of, of prayer, we'll, we'll receive the elements together.